Mythopoets, a podcast where we look at tarot, magic, and witchcraft through a mythopoetic lens. I'm your host, Amanda Yates Garcia, and this podcast is produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. If you'd like to support this project, consider joining our coven for rituals, community, tarot practice, magic, and more. Thanks for flying with us. We're glad you're here. Hello, 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 listeners. This is Amanda Yates Garcia, your host. Welcome to Between the Worlds. You are listening to our Samhain special, our Halloween special, for those of you who maybe aren't up on the witchcraft lingo. And today we will be talking with Jessica Jernigan about Samhain. She has written the zine on Samhain. It is comprehensive and beautiful. There's really not a lot more that I want to go into before we reach out to her because she has everything we need to know. So I don't want to waste any more of your time. I know that y'all are out there, you know, putting together costumes, carving turnips, doing all the things. So we're just going to go straight in and find Jessica. Let's go see where she is. Jessica, 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 hello. Welcome to Between the Worlds. We're so excited to have you. Hello, Amanda. I'm so happy to be here. Well, so let's introduce folks out there to your work. Can you tell us a little bit about your practice? Sure. I have been a tarot reader for quite a while. I picked up my first deck of cards um, back in the olden days, by which I mean in the 80s, um, <laughs> when, I w- when I was a teen. Um, a lot of the kind of traditional approach to tarot really was a downer for me. Like it was very patriarchal. It just, I expected it to be all mists of Avalon-y and it just wasn't. And so I, I put it away for a long time, but then I picked it up again and queer tarot and feminist tarot had changed everything. So that really transformed my practice. Um, I'm kind of in an in-between stage now in terms of what I'm doing with tarot. I felt like my practice slash business was getting a little bit stale. felt like I needed to shake things up a little bit. But for several years, I would do a tarot reading for every turn of the wheel of the year. And, you know, I learned a lot in the process of putting those together. And that combined with the fact that I'm a freelance writer and increasingly concerned about AI, I thought, you know, I want to go old school. Like, I don't want to put my stuff online anymore to teach the robots to replace me. So I'm going to make zines like I did in the 90s. I love that. And I was just speaking with a friend about how much I miss those 90s zines and like cutting out the Xeroxes and taping them together. And I was remembering those old um, mixtapes that we used to make and put like all these really elaborate like cutouts of magazines and letters and all of that. Yeah, I really miss that analog style. And I also just want to mention to folks out there, Jessica is an amazing writer and journalist. And in fact, um, I got to know her through the essay that she wrote uh, interviewing Starhawk and I, which is one of my favorite interviews, and I'm going to link to it in the show notes. I really recommend you read it because it's just a really beautifully written piece and I think you'll really enjoy. So 
I want to jump right into the juicy pit of the pumpkin here and uh, just start with what is Samhain? Well, it depends on whether you're asking what is Samhain now or what has Samhain been. You know, I try to cover both bases to some extent in the zine, but I feel like anybody who's picking it up probably has a sense of what Samhain looks like now. Well, let's start with this. Samhain is often aligned with Halloween, right? It's the name that witches use for our Halloween. And also, for those of you who don't know, the word Samhain is spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. So a lot of people read it and think it says Samhain, which is completely forgivable and normal. We would expect that. But let's start maybe by just speaking to what do we understand of a Samhain now for witches who are practicing now? And then we can talk about the history in a second. Sure. Um, I think a lot of uh, witches today celebrate Samhain as the new year, and it is a time for venerating and connecting with the dead, which is, you know, something we see in Halloween imagery as well. There's a lot of conflation with uh, the Christian holiday of uh, all souls and all saints. So, It's a time to remember people who have passed. It's a time to check in with the spirits. It's a time to invite people back home for a night, people you've lost. Beautiful, beautiful. And you mentioned in the the zine that you've created about Samhain, which we will also link to in the show notes, that it's a liminal time and a time of return to primordial chaos. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means to you? Sure. In the research I've done over the years, I've I've learned that for early Celtic people in Ireland, Samhain was a time when people came together at ritual centers and the normal rules were suspended. Like it was a there was a universal peace declared. It was a time when people who were usually like, you know, fighting with each other would come together and share tales of their heroic exploits and create new laws and, you know, engage in storytelling. But there was also, over time, a sense that this was a dangerous time to be abroad in the land. Um, If you're foolish enough to go out at Samhain, you should be on the lookout for fairies. Uh, I mean, one thing that was interesting to me was to discover that the idea that it is specifically related to the dead, seems to be a pretty late addition. Like I would say as late as like the 18th or 19th century addition to what Samhain means. But it is one of those holidays that we really can trace back in some form or another. Something by that name has been happening for at least since the Middle Ages. And in the Middle Ages, they were, you know, the medieval period those chroniclers were talking about the distant past, like whether how much we can take them for fact is a separate issue. But I mean, it is definitely a holiday that has been around for a really long time. Yeah, you know, what's so fascinating is I love how you're mentioning the the fairies and how the fairies might be abroad on the, on the night of Samhain or the eve of Samhain. And in a lot of the research I've been doing recently, I've been discovering that the fairies were actually kind of a remnant of an ancestral cult that existed in the British Isles. So the the fairies were the medieval way of speaking to this ancient cult that only survived in like fragments 
And the fairies, as nature spirits, were speaking to the ancestors who, when they died, like literally went into the land, but weren't always necessarily, um, you know, pleased with us. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the, the fairies are not necessarily beneficent. Um, it's best to, and I'm talking about folkloric fairies, but I mean, you even see this in Tinkerbell because she was vindictive and jealous and, you know, adorable, but like, you know, she tried to kill Wendy. So it's <laughs> like, um, no, the fairies are best thought of, I think, as ambivalent figures. And this gets back to the idea of liminality. Like, they might do you a good turn or they might or they might not. And they probably don't know the difference between harming and helping humans. They do what they feel like doing. And they have folklorically over generations played a lot of really important roles in various local cultures. I mean, one of the things that I find particularly interesting is fairies are always retreating. Like they're always just past, like we've just missed them. And, you know, you'll hear that from people who are sharing stories, you know, in the 20th century about encounters with fairies. Like this didn't happen to them, but it happened to their uncle or it happened to their grandfather because the fairies are gone now. But but Jeffrey Chaucer was saying the same thing. Like the fairies used to be all over the land and they've just just now gone away. We've just missed them. So they one of the things they do is symbolize a past that we've just lost. Yeah, it's really interesting that relationship to time and how it's referring this holiday, the Samhain holiday is referring to that which is past, that which has gone away, that which we can kind of still feel lingering in the air, like a haunting of some kind. And yet, you know, we can't really materially touch it, but we're honoring it. We're aware of it. And so then on this night of Samhain, it's like we can touch it. It's very present. It's very there. And it, in even in the idea of the fact that it's, um, you know, this ancestral holiday, it's really suggesting that it's a time for honoring this. It's, it's saying, pay attention to this. There's something important happening here. Dear listeners, I have something so exciting to tell you about. It comes from Missing Witches authors Risa Dickens and Amy Torok, a new book to help you harness the power of lunar magic. New Moon Magic offers 13 anti-capitalist practices for the modern witch, one for each new moon of the year. It'll help you rediscover your magic and nurture a witchcraft that creates instead of consumes. Each practice is paired with a witch who embodies the craft, including the word with Terry Tempest Williams and Toni Morrison, the circle with Audre Lorde, the garden with Mayumi Oda, and more. New Moon Magic is available now wherever books are sold. North Atlantic Books is offering our listeners 30% off plus free shipping on New Moon Magic with the code NEWMOON, all one word, at www.northatlanticbooks.com. 
now through December 31st, 2023. This offer is limited to recipients with U.S.-based mailing addresses only, but I really do have to say Missing Witches, Risa and Amy are super special. They were on our podcast last week, and I just am really moved by their work, and I know that you will be too, and often it's hard to find a ritual to do on the new moon, and this will introduce you to wonderful writers, witches, thinkers, philosophers, people that we really need to know about, done with sensitivity by our delightful and lovable friends, the Missing Witches. So check out the show notes. When I say that Samhain hasn't always been about the dead, but it has been about fairies for a long time, there's a significant overlap between fairies and the dead. Like the dead might show up amongst fairy troops. I was at a lecture several years ago where a professor was talking about how in the barrow tombs of Ireland, archaeologists would find infant corpses that were not ancient. They were, you know, modern infant corpses. And, you know, his suggestion was that these were unbaptized babies who had died and that you can't put them in, you know, the churchyard, but you can put them in this other place, this other place that is also has over time become identified with, you know, fairy forts, the places where the fairies live underground. Which were like these ancestral burial mounds, essentially. Right, right. And also, like, I know that the fairies, it's interesting because they're kind of the word, I'm sure this isn't the right entomology, but it it does kind of make this implication of, like, the fair folk, right? Like, the fair is in, like, pale. But in fact, they were often called the pale people, or they were called, like, the white folks. But they didn't mean white as in, like, white skin, like, as we think of, like, white people now, because obviously race hadn't been invented in the same way at that time. But the pallor was more like of the dead, right? You know how they get paler. And also the the whiteness was of like a glowing figure or like a, a, a shining, kind of like the moon or something. Like we imagine ghosts to be. It wasn't really about their skin, but more about their like kind of luminance. And that suggests that it was definitely an ancestral cult, right? If they are literally the dead people, who are kind of returning, and that is so fascinating to me. Um, you also mention in the zine the difference between pastoralist and agrarian culture for the Celts in the British Isles, and I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit and how that is related to Samhain. Right. You know, pastoralist people are, are hunters and they're gatherers, and they, you know, take what's available from the land, and often— when we think of the wheel of the year, we think about it in terms of harvest, which is agrarian culture. That is taming the land to produce what you want it to produce. So I feel like some of the different ways we have looked at Samhain over time have to do, at least in part, with you know moving from a pastoral to an agrarian culture. You know, agrarian cultures are you know stable and settled in a way that pastoral cultures often aren't. One of the things that um, archaeologists have changed their mind about over the last little while is they used to think that agrarian culture, like the ability to grow wheat, 
is what created cities. It's what created urban centers. It's what created places where people, you know, gathered together. And now a lot of archaeologists think that what happened first was that people had a ritual need to gather together, that they had a ritual need to build places to worship or to whatever you want to call it. And that agrarianism kind of grew up over time to support these centers where people congregated for, you know, largely ritualistic purposes. Right, that even that some of the earliest cities, as we might understand them, in fact, people didn't even really live there. They were just ritual gathering places, really. And it was later that they came to live there. Also interesting to consider how for the Celts, there were two seasons, summer and winter. And so, you know, the summer would have started at Beltane and then winter would have started at Samhain. And so both of those times are sometimes considered the beginning of the year or the new year. And of course, for pastoralists, during the winter months, they're going to bring their sheep or their herds somewhere a little more sheltered. And they're going to have to start like finding a place to spend the winter because it would have been so cold and inhospitable in the open fields, for instance. Right. Samhain is the time when you decide, you know, what part of the herd you're going to cull, what part of the herd you're going to slaughter and try to preserve over the winter, and what part of the herd you're going to, you know, keep sheltered and fed. So this is one of the reasons it is a feasting time, because, you know, if you're deciding what you think you can keep alive over the winter, there's going to be an abundance of, of fresh meat at a, you know, at this one time where everybody's together. Yeah, fascinating. And then you're going into this time of, you know, introspection and inward turning, spending more time inside. So there's going to be more storytelling, much more intimacy and in looking at the stories of the past of your ancestors or her- heroes' tales or whatever it is that people were telling. But I, I imagine there's probably some folks out there that are wondering okay, this is cool. I love learning about Celtic history, but what does that have to do with me now? And to them, what would you, how would you respond? Um, I mean, I guess I would say that, you know, we make the rituals and myths that we need and how I'm not going to tell anybody how to celebrate Samhain, you know, Halloween is my favorite time of year. I, I love it. And Whatever reservations I have about, you know, the connection between sound and the dead, I love Halloween. I love that we use this as a time to be monsters ourselves. You know, there's something liminal about putting on a costume, right? Like there's something chaotic about that too, right? You get to step outside of your own day-to-day status, your own day-to-day, you know, role, and you get to be whatever you want to be. That is also liminal and chaotic. I I love it. So I I guess I would say that to call Halloween a direct descendant of Samhain is historically complicated, or to call Samhain, you know, the ancient Celtic Halloween also historically complicated, but I see no reason to not take what you need from from both. Yeah, yeah, I really love what you're saying about the idea of the costume as being a liminal tool for for 
the melting of the reality that we know and the, the sense of identity that we have and that we can essentially shapeshift during this time and become other creatures. And also in our encounters with others, they are also shape-shifting. So we might see a different part of people that we know intimately. We might not even recognize them at this time. Um, I really I really love that idea. And I also um, want to re- read out this quote that you have in, in the zine, which is, we should celebrate however we want. As Starhawk, one of the godmothers of the postmodern witchcraft revival, has said, we belong to the oldest tradition there is, the tradition of making stuff up. <laughs> Which I love because I think a lot of the time people feel like in order for witchcraft to be legitimate, we have to have it rooted in an unbroken historical practice. And that's just not true. First of all, there are very few unbroken historical practices. Like most of the religious traditions that we know today are have been influenced and broken and reconstructed and uh, modified, you know, in, in many different ways. And then also, like, we have to keep reinventing what we're doing. You know, the, the cycles of witchcraft are, are cyclical. So witchcraft is always dying and being reborn and dying and being reborn. And, it, and the reason that we have death, which Halloween might suggest, is so that something new can come so that the old ways that are no longer relevant or useful to us pass away and something new can be born again. Yeah, I mean, that gets at something that I tell um, tarot clients when the death card turns up, right? Like, this doesn't mean you're going to get hit by a bus next week. It means that there is stuff that needs to die or stuff that needs to be destroyed before you can create something new, that, like, there is a, a big transformation coming and, you know, change is the only constant, right? And we we can never create anything without destroying something else. So I, I absolutely agree. Like I said earlier about being kind of disenchanted with tarot for a long time, I also was pretty disenchanted by what I learned about, you know, early witchcraft movements, by which I mean late 19th century. Like, I, I'm just, I'm not into high ritual kind of magic. That's not my bag. And I love having arrived at a place where I feel like I can create what is meaningful to me and what's meaningful to my community. Where I get fussy is when we try to create legitimacy for ourselves by presenting myth as historical fact. And I I put an asterisk after historical fact, because by that I mean, to the best of our knowledge, what is historical fact? Because history changes too, right? Like we we learn new things and we all know we have different perspectives. Um, It depends on who's telling the history. But, you know, one of the reasons I created the zine was to kind of set down and synthesize a lot of what I learned, but also because over the years, as I've looked online for information, for resources, I see the same stuff repeated over and over again. And it's like that creates its own kind of legitimacy simply through sheer volume, right? So, you know, somebody puts up a blog post and then a journalist who is assigned to write something cute for Halloween checks out a couple of blogs and they uncritically, you know, share what this blogger had to say. And it becomes 
truth. And, you know, I am happy to entertain both factual truth and symbolic truth, but I like to maintain a distinction. That's one of the things that I need in my own practice. So that is something I tried to do in this with the zine. Yeah, that's really fascinating and uh, appropriate to discuss. Sorry, that was my cat leaping. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> trying to catch something. But um, yeah, you know, I think it's often said in the field of historiography that when we look at the past, especially ancient past, but potentially all past, even like yesterday, what we say about it says more about where we are today and what we value and what we are longing for. So when we see these repeated mythologies about Samhain's connection to a Celtic past or something like that, we might see that we are longing for this connection to nature. We're longing for a connection to um, some of our ancestors, at least for me, you know, my, my Northern European lineage. And I know that many other people of many other lineages are also longing for the connection to the holidays of their own ancestors. And so I think that Halloween speaks to this, this longing for connection and longing for community as well. And a longing for, you know, myths and stories that could be passed down orally and through tradition. You also mention in your zine some practices that we could use for those of us witches out there who are like, what should I do besides, you know, dressing up for, you know, handing out candy? How can we celebrate locally? You give two options the dumb supper and the spell for letting go. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about those. The spell for letting go is is really straightforward, setting things on fire kind of magic. But the dumb supper is just something that I love and was so excited to discover. And I will say that what I put together there is really a combination of traditional practices and you know ritual elements that I would like to see that I like. So the idea of the Dumb Supper is that it is a meal eaten in total silence. There are plenty of folkloric records of girls doing this as a uh, fortune-telling kind of thing to try to find their husband, which there's a a ton of fortune-telling that goes on at Halloween, and a lot of it is about trying to find a husband, like the folk magic involved. And so... You know, that isn't terribly interesting to me. It is interesting to me that these are rituals that like span, you know, England to the Ozarks in the 19th century, at least. But my idea of the Dump Supper, which it's not purely mine. I, uh, I looked at what other people have created, but it is a meal eaten entirely in silence with a place at the table for the beloved dead, or if you have enough space, a space at the table for, you know, the beloved dead of everybody who's there. And just the idea of gathering together to eat by candlelight silently and invite the people you miss, the spirits you miss into the room just is lovely to me. I just, I love that idea so much. And it just gets at so much of what makes Halloween and Samhain sacred and beautiful. I love that. I feel I feel so moved by that. It makes me want to cry thinking about that. Just how powerful 
silences and how powerful like a shared meal can be. And especially when it's done with the intention of connecting with the ones that we love who've passed on. And uh, when we have our our candles lit and our jack-o'-lanterns and um, the candles on the tables and the cornucopias and everything. Well, Jessica, this has been very informative and I really want to share your zine with folks. So for people who want to learn a little bit more, and you do go into deep detail about the fairies and tradition and literature by Catherine Briggs. You talk about, you know, the adventures of Nera, mythologies. You you speak to many different roots of these practices. So where can we find this? Well, I just, um, because this is a new venture, I just created an Instagram account for Postmodern Witch, which is where I am putting my zine stuff. And at this point, like I'm, I don't have an Etsy shop. I don't plan to, I don't have any big cartel, but if you DM me, I will make sure you get a digital or print copy of the zine. I'm also working with friends on issue number one of a zine we're calling Croning, which is a bunch of middle-aged ladies writing about getting older by focusing on one sort of elderly avatar or archetype at a time. We're going to start with Baba Yaga. I love it. I love it. I think a lot of us will be running to to catch that. So we will put a link in the show notes to Postmodern Witch, which I think just by the title alone, we all want to jump on board. Um, and then if you if you DM Jessica, you'll get a copy of this scene. So win, win for everyone. <laughs> Jessica, happy Samhain. Merry Samhain to you. Hey, same to you. Blessed be. Thank you so much. Listeners, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to look up Jessica Jernigan's zine at her Instagram post, Modern Witch. I know you'll love it as much as I did. And then stay tuned because we have some really special episodes coming up for you. Of course, we're still working towards the King of Cups, who we will be positioning as an alchemist. You'll be finding a lot more about alchemy in that episode. And then we have a lovely interview with Jamie Della coming up as well, author of 10 books of magic, including A Box of Magic, The Book of Spells, The Wicca Cookbook. It's some good stuff. So we can't wait to share that with you. Until next time, we'll see you between the worlds. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Subscribers to our Weird Circle at the Jupiter level get workshops, community, bonus content, and magical support throughout the year. We really do hope that you join us. In the meantime, if you love our content and want to keep us on the air, please do take a moment to give us five stars or leave us a sweet review on iTunes or share your favorite moments from the podcast on social media. Truly, all of it makes a huge difference to us. You can tag me at Oracle Valet or at Between the Worlds Podcast. Not only does your support help keep us on the air, it helps baby witches who really need this content know how to find their way to us between the worlds. 
So thank you for being here and thank you for helping other people find their way here as well. This podcast is hosted by Amanda Yates Garcia and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Ricks. Our icon was created by Maria Minnis, aka Tiny Parsnip, and our graphic design is by Leah Hayes. Thanks for flying with us. <laughs>